Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for Thursday, May 28th. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, and I am joined on the show today by my co-host, John DeShazer, along with Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator for the New Orleans Saints, as well as Thomas Morstead, punter for the Saints, who just came out with a children's book that you do not want to miss. If you have kids at home, be sure to go purchase this book. It provides a lot of life, life lessons that we'll discuss with Thomas. But first up, we'll talk with Dennis Allen. He goes over some of the challenges that have presented themselves in the draft and free agency um, and, and all of the things that we're all struggling with working from home, but a, a unique perspective because obviously he is the defensive coordinator for a professional team. So fascinating interview with Dennis Allen and then, of course, with Thomas Morstead. If you haven't checked it out on NewOrleansSaints.com, be sure to check out Walking Together Forever. We are re-releasing or we are releasing uh, the videos of, of Walking Together Forever. And you do not want to miss that. It features the the stories told of the 2009 Super Bowl winning team provides a lot of interviews of coaches, mentors, uh, people who came in and spoke to the team during that time. Um, so you don't want to miss that uh, on NewOrleansSaints.com and the Saints app. I hope you are all doing well and staying safe. Uh, I don't even remember what day it is. My boss gave me an assignment today and, you know, he said it was we were going to work on it in July. And I thought we had five days to get it done because I completely skipped over June. Time does not exist anymore. I don't know if you all are struggling with the same things, but I know I am. Uh, but you didn't come to hear about my struggles. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into our interview with Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. First of all, Dennis, how are you doing during COVID-19? We haven't had an opportunity to check up on you. Yeah, listen, I guess I'm doing all right. You know, it's been, uh, it's been a little bit different, um, really working from home. Um, I've had a lot of extra coaches around the house, so they've been trying to help me out a little bit, give me some good ideas. So that's all been good. But, uh, uh, yeah, overall, we're, we're doing pretty good and, and uh, you know, looking forward to the opportunity to get back into the office at some point in time and uh, get back to – working football and, and, and practicing football and being around the guys again. Okay, so I, I got to ask you this, DA. I got to jump in here. What have you been doing to stay in shape? Because anybody who has ever – okay, we go on the road. See, this is what we do. We go on the road, and sometimes you'll go to the gym when you're on the road, right? So I'm on the treadmill one day, and, of course, I'm not in fantastic shape. Everybody knows that. You don't have to look at the heart. So I'm on the treadmill, and I might be running like six, 6.2 miles an hour, and I think I'm getting it. You know, I think I'm – DA's on the treadmill next to me running eight miles an hour or so. So he's like, you know, this invincible force when it comes to working out. So DA, what are you doing? Because I believe DA could probably be a triathlete if you wanted to. What are you doing to stay in shape? Well, so, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit harder to do. Um, the cardiovascular stuff is not that difficult to do. I've got, uh, been riding my bike, uh, been doing a little bit of swimming. And a little bit of running, uh, it's the weightlifting part that's become the, the issue. So, a um, lot of lot of sit-ups and push-ups, and and uh, getting all my wife's um, little body pump weights, and and trying to work with those every now and then. So, uh, and actually, um, I've had a lot of time, so I've had an opportunity to do a lot of that stuff. 
So I'm staying with my parents during this. JD knows that, but I had to go into my parents' garage. You're right. The cardio stuff is easy. I can walk, I can do whatever. Uh, but lifting weights is really difficult. So I went into my parents' garage and I found these old school dumbbells that have the screw on the end that you have to screw completely off. And then each weight you have to screw completely off. And so to like drop a weight or drop three pounds, it takes an right. entire 10 minutes for each dumbbell and it's almost not even worth it. It seems impossible. <laughs> I don't know how they did it back in the day. It's probably a reason why my parents didn't work out with these, but it seems impossible. I don't know how they got it done. Right, right. I guess they always figure out a way, right? I guess so. Uh, DA, we got a chance to talk to uh, Sean Payton, Jeff Ireland. We heard from them, uh, their perspectives about the draft and things like that. They said that most of the work was already done uh, as far as recruiting, uh, finding out which grades guys received. But um, from a defensive coordinator perspective, how did you feel when obviously things got shut down with COVID-19? Did you feel prepared going into the draft? Well, I, look, I'll start by saying this, like when this first all came about, I was really worried and a little bit nervous about trying to hold a draft uh, under these circumstances because there's so much personal interaction that you have an opportunity to, uh, to deal with these players. And typically, uh, it's through those personal interactions that you really figure out uh, what the success or failure rate of an individual player might be. Um, and, and so not being able to have those face-to-face -face interactions, I was concerned about that. Uh, but I thought uh, from Mickey to Jeff Ireland, to Coach Payton, I thought everybody really did a great job of organizing the whole thing. I thought our scouts did an outstanding job of keeping us all on track in, in, in what we needed to get accomplished. Um, and look, I think we learned a lot about technology and the things that we can do with technology. And, and look, I can see us being able to utilize some of these things in the future to uh, further enhance our, our draft capabilities. So uh, I don't know that, that uh, any of us would want it to be exactly the same way, um, but, but I think there's certain elements of that that we can take with us and, and, and help, you know, hopefully it can help us uh, in future drafts. Uh, DA, what, what's the installation process been like? I know, you know, generally you have the OTAs and you have the mini camps and those kinds of things, but you do benefit from having a, a largely veteran defense. Yeah, so um, really uh, when, when, when the whole COVID-19 thing broke and, and everybody was put on stay-at-home orders, you know, Sean basically came in and told the team, hey, listen, you know, uh, the most important thing for you guys to do right now is uh, take care of your families, number one. Um, and number two, get yourself in the best possible physical condition that you can uh, to get ready for next season. And so that's really been where the primary focus has been. Uh, although over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've had uh, some of the younger players, rookies, first and second year players have gotten involved in some of these uh, WebEx calls. And so everything has been, been handled, uh, you know, via uh, WebEx calls and, and just being able to sit in on a lot of these meetings. Mostly it's been our, our uh, position coaches that have handled these with their individual groups, but being able to sit in on some of these meetings, uh, you know, it, it is amazing what you can accomplish with, with the technology that we have. And so, 
I really feel good about where we're at. Certainly as a coach, again, with everything else, none of us really like to get out of our comfort zone. Uh, we really like to be able to stick to our routine and do the things that we feel comfortable doing. And we've had to change. Um, and and we've, we've learned a lot about technology and some of the things that we can do. And again, just like we talked about with the draft process, um, I think we can utilize some of these things in the future. Now, we interviewed uh, Eric McCoy a few weeks ago, and he said that Teron Armstead kind of took the reins on making sure everyone on the line was accounted for and doing their responsibilities. Have, have natural leaders kind of arose on the defensive side? Like, have, have guys stood up and said, hey, you know, make sure you're doing what you can, checking in on guys? Have, have those kind of leaders just come out of the woodwork, or were they already there? Well, look, I think, I, think they were, I think they were already there from the very beginning, you know, um, and, and I think our coaches have done a really good job of kind of staying on top of what everybody's doing. And that's probably what, what's been the most important thing for us during this time uh, is just staying in communication with our players. Uh, and that's typically been handled primarily uh, by the position coaches. Uh, and I think they've done a great job of – because what happens when you, when you don't have an opportunity to be with these guys on a day-in and day-out basis, you know, sometimes out of sight, out of mind, and, and that's, that's where the, the, the communication comes in. And I think our, our, our coaches, uh, the position coaches, has a, they've done a great job of staying on top of that with all our guys. Odea, you mentioned the position coaches. How beneficial is it to have guys who have been there, who've been in the system – who know exactly what it is you're looking for, as opposed to having, I guess, a new guy or three that you have to kind of catch up to speed or, you know, figure out what his style is and those kinds of things. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, the fact that the majority of our coaching staff and the majority of our players have been together for at least the last uh, three years, uh, I think is very beneficial. Um, again, you asked me about installations and how the installations are going, you know, it, you know, we didn't go through a lot of different things this offseason and, and say, well, we got we to gotta change this and do this and do that. What we really said during the offseason was, okay, how are we going to do these things better? Um, and how are we going to teach these things better? Uh, and so that's really where our, where our focus has been. And so um, really it's been about really fine-tuning all the little details to everything that we're doing defensively. Uh, from uh, verbiage, terminology, to techniques and fundamentals, you know, really trying to hone in on exactly uh, the things that we want to teach and exactly the terminology we want to do to use that. You know, I, I know it's tough to tell until you actually get on the field and get them out there and get working, and every year's different, but how much do you like the personnel that you're working with? Because, again, as you mentioned, they're guys that you know, and you've seen these guys put together a lot of outstanding type games yeah look I feel great about it um, I really like our players um, I like the fact that they're tough I like the fact that they're extremely competitive um, I like the fact that they're um, smart and I like the fact that they're team players um, and I think that's the probably the biggest thing uh, that I can say about our players is that they're all team and team goal oriented uh, certainly, we all like our own individual accolades, uh, but yet 
They all understand that what we're asking them to do is for the betterment of our football team. And they're all bought into trying to do whatever they can to, to, uh, to make us better. And so um, I like the makeup of this football team. We're always trying to get better. Um, and, and we're, look, I'm excited about hopefully having the opportunity to, to, to get with these guys and start practicing some football at some point. Through video, is it more challenging to get that the player's true authentic self? Because over video, JD can pretend to like me all he wants, but in real life, that doesn't always happen. But over video, can you kind of get a better sense of uh, guys' true. true characters? Well, listen, I, I've been pretending that I like people on video for a long time. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think that's anything new. Uh, uh, listen, I, th I think the one thing that you miss out of the video um, is really that 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 real human interaction as to and I'm I'm speaking in a specific instance here in terms of just players learning, you know, um, there's just something about being in that room with the guy and you're like, do you get it? And you, they say they get it sometimes when they don't really get it, and it's harder to get that sense. Um, you know, through these WebEx conferences that, that we've been having. So that's kind of a little bit of the difficulty. Um, but, uh, and it's easy for us because there's just three of us on this call right now that I can see anyway. Uh, and so it's not like, it's not like there's, you know, 10 or 12 people on this call and you're trying to scroll through the screen to see what everybody's face looks like when you're, when you're going over something with them. So that's probably been, you know, the biggest challenge. Um, uh, in, in terms of dealing with, with what we're dealing with. See, and I can relate to that, DA, because Caroline will say she gets it and she ain't got it. I, I, <laughs> that is very true. I'm not going to lie. I did that totally a lot in math class. <laughs> understand yep, that's that. Very true. So, yeah. I can well, listen, I knew when I said that, everybody would know what I was talking about. <laughs> So then uh, we're going we're to switch up a little bit here because, um, you know, Ms. Mrs. Benson obviously um, started the community assistance uh, funds and you made a, a really significant and, and very generous uh, donation to it. You wanted to make sure that those, you know, those monies get into the hands of the people who need it the most. But what, what triggered you uh, to, to make the donation? Well, I, I think this, I think, um, this whole situation, COVID-19, has is, is really had a, a, a rough impact. Uh, and in our community, the greater New Orleans area uh, was impacted significantly by um, this virus. And, and a lot of people, um, you know, needed help. And this community has been home for me and my family for going on 11 years now. And so we felt like it was important for us. My wife and I both felt like it was important for us to uh, try to do something to give back to this community that's given us so much. Uh, and so we wanted to, we wanted to help out and we felt like what better way than to uh, give to the greater New Orleans foundation and specifically, uh, you know, the Gail Benson community assistance fund. Uh, I thought that was a great way for us to try to do our part to help out our community. You know, I, I don't want to embarrass you with this information, but, you know, I feel like I need to put it out there that, that it's $100,000 because, you know, when I said significant, people don't understand exactly how significant. And so I want them to understand exactly, you know, the, the steps that you made to, to make such a generous donation. And again, obviously, New Orleans 
um, and and that and that fund will benefit from it. So you know, obviously, you know, everybody's extremely thankful for it, uh, that you're not just an outstanding coach, but also a, an extremely generous person uh, in general. Well, listen, I appreciate that, and I, I think um, all of us that are involved. Um, as players, coaches in the National Football League, we've all been blessed. Um, and, and, and I feel like um, that, you know, it's our job to, to try to give back to our community uh, and to try to help in any way that we can. So I'm glad that we were able to do that. DA, have there been any other positives that you've been able to take away from this time? Obviously, spending time with your family. I've gotten away from JD. I've gotten to spend more time with my family. But um, <laughs> any other positives that you've been able to take away from this time? Yeah, well, look, uh, w because we haven't had the players in here, um, it, and, and so the, the time that we've spent with them has been more limited during this offseason, we've really had an opportunity really as coaches – uh, specifically, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. We've had a lot of these WebEx conference calls where we've had an opportunity to, to really, again, go through the playbook and really go through it with a fine-tooth comb uh, to really um, make sure that we're doing everything exactly the way that we need to be doing it, that the, the diagrams are exactly the way that they need to be, the verbiage that's in the book is exactly the way it needs, needs to be, be uh, and just making sure that we're all 100% on the same page on everything that we're doing so that when we do have the players in here, um, man, it, it is it is like a well-oiled machine in terms of exactly what we're supposed to be doing because, look, it's our job to make sure that the players know what their job is on the field. Their job's to uh, to execute and make plays when they have the opportunity to, uh, but it's our job to make sure we're putting them in the right position. You know, the, I got to throw this football thing at you because you get the one draft pick on defense, the linebacker, Zach Vaughn. Um, this dude's a high school sprint champ and a high school high jump champ. Did, did you know or do you see what kind of athlete he is? Does that jump out on film? Yeah, look, I, you know, I felt like he was a really good athlete when we watched him on tape. You can really see some of that uh, explosiveness. You can see some of that bend. Uh, when he's rushing the passer, um, certainly the thing with him is just the uh, the thought of being able to play some off-the-ball linebacker and playing inside. You know, he's kind of a Sam linebacker, Mike linebacker combination. Uh, and, and so the learning curve for him is going to be some of the off-the-ball stuff. But we really felt like he was smart, um, <clears throat> and we really felt like he was a good athlete. How confident are you with the linebacker position right now? Because you've had some changes in coaching with Michael Hodges taking over, um, obviously the draft pick, and then bringing in Anthony, Anthony Chiquillo. How confident are you at the linebacker position right now? Well, listen, I, I feel good about the position. Um, certainly, you know, there's some, there's some unknown with that position uh, in that, you know, Alex Anzalone's coming off an injury and Caden Ellis is coming off an injury and Kiko Alonso's coming off an injury. So, there, there is a little bit of uncertainty with that position. Um, but when you have veteran players like we do, and then you throw in a guy like a Demario Davis, um, you know, anytime you can add that guy into your mix, then you got to feel pretty good about the, the whole position group. So uh, I feel good about it. I think that's still an area that we're, we're going to continue to look to see if there's anybody that we can uh, acquire that can help us improve in that area. Um, 
but I do like the fact that we do have some guys with some experience. Um, and, and, and the biggest question mark is just everybody getting back off the injuries. Dennis, I don't know if you have social media, but if you guys played football underwater, you guys would win. You would win everything because Demario Davis is just taking over underneath the, the underwater workouts. They're pretty intense. I know you said yeah, you're well, but he's kind of I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a big social media guy, um, <laughs> so I haven't had an opportunity to see all that. Um, but, uh, but, but I'll certainly – uh, I'll have my kids get on because I, I know they do that stuff so they can get on and show me what's going on. Yeah, it's pretty impressive uh, as a media member that, you know, that's all we have to live on is the, is the social media stories and things like that. So uh, right. I did pretty good just getting on this zoom call. Yeah, you did. You're, you're doing great. Wi-Fi worked and everything, the background, the lighting. It's great. You're better than JD already. So, you know, yeah, you actually you, you are DA. You got the lighting, <laughs> you got the lighting perfect. So actually you are. <laughs> Well, DA, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you again for your donation, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Okay, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right. All right. Bye -bye. Thanks, DA. All right. Thanks to Dennis Allen for joining us on the show. But now we welcome on Punter for the New Orleans Saints, who has just come out with a new book, The Middle School Rules of Thomas Morstead, the man himself, Thomas Morstead. First of all, how are you doing, Thomas? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, when was the last time you guys went to Shipley's? I remember seeing that on your Instagram story, and I feel like I haven't seen that in forever, and, I, and I've been craving some Shipley's myself. Well, uh, as soon as they opened up, we, we basically, that was a Saturday morning treat for the kids. So we get on our bikes, and um, we put the two youngers in our little kitty bike seats behind us, and the, uh, our two older boys, Maxwell and Beckett, are um, riding their bikes solo now. So good little family exercise to start the Saturday morning off and then load them up with a little sugar. So it's fun. <laughs> Can you ever remember spending this much time with your family? No, it's, it's been, um, you know, that's been the silver lining in all this. It's been outstanding to spend so much time, uh, not only with them, but just uninterrupted time. You know, we don't have to have lunches made every day for school. We're not dropping them off uh, at three or four different places with gymnastics or soccer or baseball or whatever else is going on. And so it's just been nice to just be stuck in together and uh, spend some nice time together. Uh, it gets a little, little hairy sometimes uh, <laughs> with four younger kids. They, they can get at each other, but um, it's been really nice. Yeah, I can't imagine it uh, with four kids right now. That seems I can barely manage myself. Uh, so, Thomas, you did just come out with your book, The Middle School Rules of Thomas Morstead. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of that book, how it started, and how the idea came about? Yeah, I mean, whenever I went up to Minnesota to present the check uh, to the Children's Hospital up there, uh, I guess that was two, year, two years and some ago, um, you know, I went on Radio Row and I interviewed probably 25 or 30 different, you know, whether it was a website or a radio or TV or whatever. And uh, the last interview I had was uh, by a guy named Sean Jensen. And we stayed in touch after the interview. And he ended up sending me a few of his books that he had done uh, on some other players, Brian Urlacher, uh, uh, Charles Peanut Tillman, um, Skylar Diggins. Um, there was a few others, uh, Jamal Charles. And he just asked me what I thought about the books and asked me to read them to the kids and they loved them. And, and, um, and so he just asked if I'd be interested in being the next, you know, character in his series. And I said, I was blown away. And I said, absolutely, it'd be great. And uh, we spent about a pa the past year going, going through it. And 
reminiscing about, you know, how the heck I ended up where I'm at. And um, it's just been, it's been a really nice journey. So I do have to ask on the front of the book, there's you with blonde hair. And now of course you have the brown locks. Did you used to have blonde hair like your kids do now? Um, yeah, I would say it was a, you know, it was probably not as, as yellow as the, uh, as the <laughs> image on the book, but it was definitely a blonde uh, color for many years. Um, and the glasses were, were definitely a real thing as well. Yeah, I remember reading that in the book. And I know you said in the, the, the conference call with the media the other day that you kind of had to seek out some of those stories that were in the book because it's some of the stuff that you didn't even know about. I, I remember reading um, in some of the book that your mom called her mom to figure out what her child was supposed to look like. How, right. What was the process like of seeking out some of these stories? Where did you go? Where did you start? Um, well, I you know, basically I sat down with Sean for eight hours and, um, we, you know, he basically asked me to kind of tell him a story and, and, you know, from the beginning to the, to the end of high school. And, um, as we went along, I was able to, you know, I'd say, well, yeah, we ended up doing this. He, well, and he, and I wouldn't even think it was a story. And he would say, well, tell me more about that. And we'd kind of go down that road. And so it's kind of like being, you know, the trunk of a tree and I would do one big branch off and then he would find three different branches off of that branch and um and some of the stories uh i didn't even know about um how maybe i was impacting or uh doing something positive for somebody else that i don't remember hmm. or didn't know was a big deal and so it was really meaningful to get the book and read a few stories like that where um something i did or said was uh you know helped change uh, the course of someone else's life and so that's been really cool to kind of make some of those discoveries. Now, was it you calling members of your family? Because you seem pretty close with your family. Um, was it you calling your family members trying to get to the bottom of these stories? Was it Sean calling members of the family trying to figure out more details of the story? No. So after we did our eight hour sit down, I gave him all of the different family members that I thought he that were either involved in those stories or that he would just, you know, somebody that would know me really well that he wanted to just interview and um and so he got a lot of details um actually from other people um so it was it was it was interesting going through the process with him obviously i'd never done anything like it and he had a really um just awesome he's got his process nailed down of how he wants to go about doing it so it was really smooth that's awesome that's incredible um i know in chapter 12 you talk about your dad being a cyclist and the sacrifice that went into being a cyclist now as a professional athlete do you try to carry over some of those same lessons that your dad taught you um, in his career that you learned um, at a young age, maybe passing down now to your kids? Yeah, you know, I think my dad is a man of few words. You know, he didn't tell me a whole bunch growing up. It was more of the way he was, the way he modeled, uh, the way he treats my mom, the way he um, trained, the way he learned to suffer as a cyclist. I mean, cycling is a brutal, brutal sport. Yeah. And um, he took great pride in being able to suffer. He was willing to suffer more than other people. That was kind of uh, one of his, you know, things that he, that was like one of his, you know, almost like his principles of cycling. And, and so, you know, I, you know, I've never been a, a great athlete growing up. Uh, you know, I was, I loved playing soccer and I could kick a ball pretty good. And um, once I discovered the weight room and, and training and, taking care of your body and all these different things. Um, I've tried to take on that same type of, uh, 
mantra. You know, it's, it's hard to uh, physically show your willingness to sacrifice um, on a football field as a punter. Um, and so that, that a lot of that goes in, that's the way I train in the off season. And it's not just the, the, uh, physical pain, but it's the, it's the pain of preparation. It's the pain of, uh, of discipline of 24 hours a day. You're making all your decisions about what's best for your body and what's going to be best for you this week, this month, this season, and for your career. And so I've tried to carry those on. That's great. Now, I saw some of the stories in the book. You cover a lot of ground in the book with your stories. There's a first job as, a, as an official. There's your dad getting injured. There's, uh, you know, one of your soccer teammates, his parents were getting separated. How did you, did you decide, did you ultimately make the decision of putting those stories in the book or was, was that Sean? Because those are valuable lessons that I think a lot of young children, uh, a lot of them struggle with different ones. Um, look, uh, you know, we had a ton of stories. We had to, you know, there's a limit on, on basically how many pages we could go. So, um, you know, to kind of keep the cost of the book down. And so, you know, it was more of, you know, at the end of the day, I had the final say on the book, right? Mm -hmm. It's my story. And Sean made me feel comfortable in that manner. Um, but he was very thoughtful and, um, you know, kind of finding uh, meaningful lessons to attach to some of the stories that he thought were uh, r really interesting stories that also could provide a valuable lesson. And um, I think we were a good team in that regard. Awesome. Well, Thomas, I know you've done a lot of uh, interviews about this book. Where can people find the middle school rules of Thomas Morstead? Well, uh, they can go on Amazon and pre-order um, Target, Barnes and Nobles, um, and then uh, shortly here, we'll be doing some promotional stuff through the foundation, um, maybe with some signed copies and things like that with donations. So, um, but we haven't finalized that. Hopefully we'll have that decided by next week. Now, I personally have to thank you for your money vehicle challenge that you did on social media, because as someone who graduated college a few years ago, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that you were putting out there. So I, I'm sure it helped a lot of people, but personally, thank you for doing that because financial literacy yeah. month in April, that was great. That was a lot of good information. Well, you know, was, I, I talked about doing that with my, my former teammate, Jed Collins. And when the pandemic hit, it just felt like it was perfect timing to do it, do something productive. People are going to be on social media, probably a little more, they're stuck indoors. And so it was just kind of a uh, perfect storm to do that. And uh, I'm really glad to hear that you felt like it was valuable and hopefully uh, people that follow me felt like it was valuable as well. Absolutely. Well, Thomas, thank you for your time. We appreciate you and uh, we'll let you get on with your day, but hopefully we'll see you soon. Okay. Sounds great. Have a good one. That'll do it for today's edition of the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Be sure to tune in next week uh, for another edition, of course, of the New Orleans Saints podcast. For Caroline Gonzalez, John DeShazer, Dennis Allen, and Thomas Morstead, thanks so much, and we'll tune back in next week.